want to be a CEO? It's a tough mountain to climb. I'm finding out how to get there and what to do once you make it to the top. I'm Michael Thompson, and this is Three Peaks Leadership with Philip Levinson. Today, we're getting stuck back into self-awareness. I'm joined, as always, by CEO, CEO mentor, and author of Three Peaks Leadership, How to Make It as a CEO and Beyond, Philip Levinson. Lev, g'day. Hello, Michael. So, last time, we looked at the theory behind self-awareness. Today, and I'm smiling because I'm going to enjoy this episode a lot, we're putting it into practice, and we are going to use you as our guinea pig. Well, thank you. And I'm glad you're smiling. I'm certainly not because I know the results. Our guest joining us again today knows, of course, more about self-awareness than most. Daniel Martin is a transformational leadership and people insights consultant at IC Transformation. Daniel, welcome back to Three Peaks Leadership. Thank you very much for having me, Lev and Michael. This is going to be interesting. And fun. And fun, hopefully. (laughs) Where do we start? Well, let's start with, um, with my approach to Daniel. I met him, I was keen to to find out a bit more about myself and had been recommended to Daniel. And uh, Daniel, perhaps you could take us through the process of conducting the assessment and the diagnosis thereafter and use the polite bits about my uh, my assessment as examples of, of how effective a tool Advanced Insights actually is. I'll try my best, no promises. I've, I've done a lot of these assessments and... So I found that Lev is an anomaly. The advanced insights, what makes it so special is the validity of this assessment is sitting at 94%. And it's different to psychometric assessments because those tests validity is around 72%. So that's because the advanced insights platform is uh, mathematically precise and we have to trust that instrument. So what's the why? This is a great assessment platform. How's it going to be practical to corporate or CEOs and executives? Well, the answer is if you were able to improve the productivity of your teams by 20%, what impact would that have on your bottom line? If you were to improve the happiness of your teams by 20%, their self-belief by 20%, you know, what are the impacts that are going to have on your organization? It's huge. So what you're recommending really is that you put your teams together based on an assessment like this so that you understand that you're not hiring similar or like-minded people, but you are hiring a group of people who've got disparate skills, which when brought together are additive to the entire organization, which for me, if I was um, going back over my CEO career, where I was accused occasionally of clearing minefields by foot, would have been very useful to have actually known the values and beliefs and capabilities of the team members that I was either working with or bringing on to the organization before I stepped on the mine. Absolutely. And so if you had a team, if your team around you uh, had done the assessment and you knew what their blind spots were, what your blind spots were, when you have incoming employees, you can hire based on building that holistic team rather than, I think you mentioned it in your book, where often people can hire people who are like them because, yeah. That's exactly right. And in fact, you had an example of that. We talked about it earlier. You had an example of, of um, a client of yours who had three candidates. The preferred candidate was very had very similar traits or attributes to the CEO, but they weren't hired. Yes, that's correct. So the so they put out the, the job spec to the HR company. The HR company came back with the top three candidates for the role. Uh, the CEO 
uh, really liked one particular person because he was a high controlling style, just like the CEO. And so on that level, they really connected because the CEO wanted more people who were controlling style to take action quickly, be decisive, be dominant, um, because he felt like he was dragging the team along. So after putting these three candidates through the assessment, uh, we were able to look a bit deeper than just the tip of the iceberg. And so once we looked at the way the brain, the three dimensions of thought we talked about earlier, the, the empathy, the practical and the systemic, and the innate talents and non-talents, and what motivates these people through what they value, we were able to uh, eliminate that person because A, they weren't going to fit into the team well, B, uh, the values of the company uh, weren't so aligned with that person, and, and C, the other two people were just clearly uh, better on paper. Interesting mm. and, and pra- very practical. Mm. From a, a practical point of view, what's involved in the assessment? Talk us through the, the actual process. So say using Lev as our, as our mm. guinea pig today, he's, uh, he's picked up the phone, he's made an appointment to come and see you. What happens when he walks through the door? One of the things that are fantastic about this assessment and again separates from psychometric is that some psychometric tests can be four, six hours in length. Whereas this one is very simple, it's 40 minutes. And, and the bit where we uh, analyze or assess the unconscious brain is 10 minutes. And as, as we know, like you look at Apple, they make complex things so simple. And that's the beauty behind this uh, theory that Dr. Hartman's come up with. So Lev would, uh, Lev would contact me. I would send him a link. He would do the assessment. There's three parts to the assessment. So behavior, values, and the, uh, the way your brain's been wired. So in terms of your, uh, the empathy, the practical and the systemic we spoke about earlier. And then I get the report. And then I spend a couple of hours going through that and getting that three-dimensional view of Lev. And then we sit down, we have two separate sessions to debrief that and go through it all. So I hate to do this, but the time has come. I guess let's talk about what you found. Are you ready, Lev? Well, the box of tissues is on the table. <laughs> it's, it's all good. So whenever we do these assessments, it's really important to uh, tell people the frame. So it's not an IQ test, and, and they're kind of dated anyway these days. It's, it's more about your talents and your non-talents. So what are those genius natural talents that Lev has? And there's not many that I can see here, just joking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's really about in, embracing those talents. And so Lev is a bit of a anomaly, as I mentioned earlier, because his internals, and that's his level of self-belief, self-esteem, his role awareness and self-direction uh, of some of the highest I've seen by doing these assessments. And usually it's the other way around. So often people climb other people's ladders, so our parents' expectations, our society's expectations, or maybe some unattainable ideal that they want to achieve. And so what sacrifice? The internals, because mm-hmm. often our self-esteem is connected to something external that we can attain, like getting that job position or that raise or that sort of stuff. So, And we can accurately, precisely measure those internal realms. So as I said, Lev, Lev's internals are off the chart. So what does that mean? That means that he can outperform someone or achieve his goals better than someone else who's got more talents than him. You could have all the talents in the world, but if you don't have the self-esteem or the confidence to make use of them, you're not going to go anywhere. You're going to be spinning in the mud. 
But again, going back to the practical and, you, the, you know, for our listeners, this mm-hmm. is very important to mm-hmm. to know yourself mm-hmm. so that you can focus on your strengths, as you said, which is a bit counterintuitive to what mm-hmm. we used to do, which is try and improve our weaknesses mm-hmm. and use them to position ourselves for for a specific role or, or occupation. Mm. So looking at this list here that I've got of Lev of his 77 talents and non-talents, one of his uh, weakest ones is evaluating others. So he knew this straight away because when he met me and asked me what I did and I told him that I was a people insights person and I helped CEO with people problems, um, knowing that his weakness is evaluating others, why waste time and money and effort to skill yourself up to become that person when you can use somebody like myself who has a tool that can give you extremely accurate information about a person. So that's a really good example. So have yeah. you always known, Lev, that that's a, an area of weakness for well, you? No, but as I developed in my career hmm. uh, and I had performance reviews, uh, the clearing minefields by foot became more apparent and the the requirement to do less of that. Yeah. So you know you need to work on yourself to get this to get this deficiency resolved. Are there any other ones? So there? we'll we'll go into a talent then. If we would, if we could, <laughs> 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 got to keep it balanced. So we have so Lev's got a score here of self improvement eight point six, and so anything between an eight and a ten we consider the genius. And so you just mentioned that during your career, you had to self improve. And so if someone had a very low score on that self-improvement, they wouldn't grow into that self-awareness where they could potentially, you know, when I said evaluating others, uh, you knew straight away that you had to talk to me and find out more about this product. Yep. So generally what we look for in individuals in corporate is, and this is where it really threads together and, and this is where the power comes from. So we look at their unconscious decision-making styles. So if somebody has a low um, respect for honesty, but their behavioral style is very interactive, promoting. They're that sort of person that can tell you what you want to hear and they're very influential, but there could be some deceit going on in the background. And so if they've got a high value system of individualistic, so they make up their own rules, we have an individual that we would uh, flag red. Uh, and, and it happened in a case where we were with an organization we spoke to the CEO and he said, well, this may be an issue. And he goes, what, this guy, he's a great guy. We're really good friends, um, all that sort of thing. And then three months later, he called us and said this person had been embezzling money out of the company. So we can build up that picture and say if that person had high attitude towards honesty and then they were high interactive, then, yes, they're going to be influencing, but they're going to have some integrity around that. They're not going to just tell you what you want to hear, mm. if you know what I mean. So – um, it's really powerful. So with Lev, for example, if we go back to the iceberg where the tip of the iceberg is behavior, then we have values, and then we have the way the brain was wired. So Lev has these, the wiring suggests that he has a more of a bias towards systemic, so creating order. So when you said you were in the Navy, you found it very easy because your brain is wired that way. Um, just to, you know, easy to adapt to spe- standard operating procedures because I could see that they made sense. Yes. And I can see your your bias overall is a vigilant one. So unconsciously, you're always looking out and being alert, I suppose. And then your one of your highest value systems is altruism. So when you mentioned in the book that you were in Mediterranean and you were helping refugees and whatnot, that's a drive that you have. 
So when we're looking at values, um, it's really important to uh, know what motivates your employees. I can give you an example where I was speaking to a, a young lady the other day and her first day on the job, she has a high individualistic and she wanted to express herself with the clothes that she wears because it makes her feel good and that, that energy, I suppose, would affect other people positively in the team. And the boss said on the first day, it was almost like a backhanded compliment. You obviously have great fashion, but you can't wear those clothes anymore. And so what did that do? She has a high individualistic and that makes her feel boxed in. And then she feels like she's walking on eggshells and she can't be herself and, and that'll affect her productivity and happiness at work. And so I wouldn't be surprised if she starts looking for another job. Um, the boss may have a high regulatory value system where he feels that there's one right way of coming to work, wearing clothes, and um, maybe very traditional. And so if he had that self-awareness of what motivates the employees, he could get better productivity, better happiness, and maybe a place where people want to work there. Yeah. Some of those attributes that you that you mentioned, the internal ones, self-esteem, confidence, things. If you had done this same test, the same assessment 20 years ago and then repeated it last year, uh, are they things that, that can change over, over time? And particularly if someone goes through their career like you have, Lev, I can imagine that those kinds of things would grow and, mm. and change probably almost on their own just by, by virtue of getting in there doing the job. Mm. Would you, can you see um, changes over time when you, if you were to do these tests and assessments repeatedly? You do. You do see changes. So if we're looking at Lev, for example, yes, his external scores would have changed a bit because obviously, you know, you're doing a lot of repetition after the age of 28 for males and usually 25 for women. Uh, your brain's pretty much, there's no more pruning and reinforcing to do. So any skills that you're, you know, doing 10,000 repetitions of in your career, say 35 years of Lev's career, yes, this would have changed somewhat, but the external, not so much. So that's pretty much set unless you work incredibly hard to change those. If you did this test uh, last year or the year before, we'll see little differences in the biases perhaps, but not a lot. Where the big change is, and that's the internals in terms of the self-belief, self-esteem and the role confidence. So if you have, if you go to a weekend seminar perhaps or, you know, meditation or you just get some insight into yourself, that can change your your levels of self-esteem, role awareness, and self-direction overnight. Um, so some people can change very quickly. Some people may take a few months or years. So that's where the gold is, and that's why Lev is such a good example because his internals, um, as opposed to the externals, his internals are higher. So the race car driver knows the course better, himself better, and the car better, um, so then he can be much more successful and happier in life. I just got one one final question about uh, the difference between the internals and the externals, and, and to to make a, a rather clumsy attempt at, at kind of summarising it, it all and how it can be used in a, in a corporate environment, would it be true to say that that a lot of the externals they are difficult to change, better to outsource or supplement complement uh, with the people around you to try and use those people to to kind of fill out your team and fill out those weaknesses, whereas the internals are the things that that you can focus on. They are the things that you can change, you can um, improve, self-esteem, confidence, and if you're going to put the time into anything, it's work on those internal ones and work with the people around you to improve the areas where you're weaker on the externals. Absolutely, Michael. 
So in a, in a nutshell, doing this assessment for your organization, uh, the CEO would really want to find people who can complement his non-talents and his biases so that he has an executive team that all together they can move forward together. So the age of the um, hero soloist is over. So the days of Steve Jobs, they wouldn't let him into creative meetings because he would starve the creativity out of the room because he was so controlling and dominant. And so we want to have, with a tremendous transformation coming in the 20s, AI is coming, robotics, automation, the key is people. You want to have good EQ in your employees. It's all going to be about personal relationships, building rapport, um, working together. And so the advanced insights can really um, hone in and show you where those biases are, how to complement the team members. When you're getting someone hired, make sure they're going to fit into the overall ecosystem of the team. And it's going to make, it's going to have tremendous impact on having better quality decisions, better judgment calls. It's almost every week now we're seeing in the papers. There's another scandal, you know, the Crown Hotels, the the Royal Banking Commission. There's just happening all the time. I think, you know, you, you raised some incredible points and thank you. And thank you also for the work that you did with me. I mean, you certainly highlighted areas that I was completely unaware of. So talk about those blind sides. Dan, thank you very much for coming in. Thanks for being on the show and thanks for not being too cruel uh, in the assessment pieces that you picked on me. It's a great pleasure having you. Thank you very much, Lev and Michael. It's been um, excellent to be here and thank you for having me. Thank you. That was Daniel Martin, Transformational Leadership and People Insights Consultant at IC Transformation. And that's it for this episode of Three Peaks Leadership. There'll be another episode next week, so make sure you have hit subscribe or follow on your podcast app so it lands automatically in your playlist. And also, while you're at it, while you're online, make sure you go to Booktopia, go to Dimmix, go to Amazon, basically anywhere where you can find a book online and order a copy of Three Peaks Leadership, How to Make It as a CEO and Beyond. I'm Michael Thompson, and this is Three Peaks Leadership with Philip Levinson. Thank you. Thank you.